0: This morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to the prophet Micah, chapter 5. The prophet Micah, we will stand in a moment and read verse 2 and the companion verse 4. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Micah, chapter 5, beginning in verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. And now verse 4. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of Yahweh in the majesty of the name of Yahweh his God. And they shall abide... For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Please be seated. I bypassed verse 2 because some of the verses require comment to explain them. because They don't always fit right with each other as we might expect. And that's why I went from verse 2 to 4. Those two verses go well together. And don't require much explanation. This morning's message is entitled, The Everlasting One. And this one, of course, is the one who has always been. He is the subject of verse 2. Again, but you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are little among the thousands of Judah. Out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old, From everlasting. First give a little exposition on the verse. And then the application. This morning's message. This is a detailed and explicit prophecy. It was given 700 years thereabout. Before it was fulfilled. Bethlehem. Not Jerusalem. Not Athens. Not Rome. And most certainly not Washington D.C. Those great cities have been bypassed for this little village, for the Savior, for God the Son, to come into this world. God bypassed them for this arrival of the ultimate deliverer and the Savior of the souls of men. Bethlehem, at the time that this prophecy was given by Micah, was of little interest or importance to anyone. And yet it has become world famous because of what has taken place there. It has gained importance that is out of proportion to its size. This is the doing of the Lord. And when you think about it, we listen to the Apostle Paul make comment on such moves by God. In 1 Corinthians 1, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things of the mighty. Now, of course, this is the value system of the world, not God, not fact and reality, but the world's standards. And Paul points out, well, the world has standards, but God's standard is the one that we honor. Now, this birth of the one-to-be-ruler... Of course, unlike any other birth ever, and there'll never be another like it. And one of the reasons is because of not only who he is, but that he is pre-existent. That goes along with who he is as the eternal son from everlasting. That's eternity past. He says here, the prophet Micah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one. Uh, There can be no true believing in God without Jesus Christ. He is the one. And he is inseparably attached to God the Father. When the angel of the Lord appeared to the father of Samson, Manoah, and informed him that he was going to have this special child, the father, Manoah, of Samson said this: What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? It's a fantastic question, and of course, you, concerning this child, what will be his rule of life and his work? Well, we know it took it takes the Gospels, the New Testament, to explain this to us. Again, verse four. Here is an explanation from the Old Testament. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of Yahweh, in the majesty of the name of Yahweh his God. And he shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Well, there is his rule of life and there is his work. It mentions very clearly that he is to be ruler in Israel. And of course, ultimately, that means the ruler of the world when we understand the history that is prophesied for Israel concerning the millennial reign of Christ. This child is heaven's king, the ultimate king of this world and all worlds. When Isaiah said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder... And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. Well, there's no one else you can say that about. The only person that you could apply that to would, uh, is Jesus Christ, and he would have to be divine. I very much enjoy preaching on the deity of Jesus Christ, I don't, regardless of how many times it comes up. I like to talk about how Jesus Christ is God the Son, and I like to use the Scriptures to point that out. I also enjoy preaching on the Holy Spirit and His special work, that He is part of the Godhead and equal with the Father and the Son. And I enjoy talking about the glory of the Father. I think all Christians uh, enjoy these things, at least I hope we do, and I hope we all have opportunity To use them on unbelievers. Because that's part of why we understand what we believe. Here, the prophet says, Who's going forth are from old, from everlasting. Now, one reason before I comment on that, why I uh, don't really like to do Christmas messages is because... The congregation knows the story as well as I do. What am I going to say to you that's going to hold your attention, that's going to bless you? Well, ultimately, that's not for me to decide. It's for me to be led by the Lord to decide. And I think that we're coming to, in this morning's message, some parts of, of the consideration that at least have blessed me. And if they've blessed me after all these years in Christianity and God's Word, I am confident they're going to bless you Two, Now, coming back to what Micah said, who's going forth are from old, from everlasting. Well, he's telling us that this coming, the coming of this child is not a start, but a state, the incarnation. It's not his beginning. It is part of his process of who he is going to be to us. He's always there. He's always been God. And now he comes interview among men who lived at that time. And so as as a man, our Lord comes from the city of David. But as God the Son, he comes from eternity. And that's why John wrote in the first chapter of his gospel, he was in the beginning with God. That is eternity past, self-existent without beginning. Jesus is God, the eternal Son. Again, John chapter 10, verse 30. I and my Father are one. And this is, of course, the superlative application of what Christ is saying. We cannot say it like he means it for himself as it applies to him. None have ever come into the world with such advanced notice even Cyprus and Josiah, who get a mention hundreds of years before they came along, have, don't come close to the prophecies concerning Christ and their fulfillment. And there are still many prophecies to be fulfilled concerning him. Born into this world, not from it. A star pointed to his cradle, Matthew 2 Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And that wonderful part they add later. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with great joy. The shining angel and then a host of angels that were there... uh, to the shepherds announcing his arrival Luke chapter 2 and behold an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid then it goes to verse 13 of Luke 2 and suddenly there was there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill toward men who else has had such an introduction to life like this. And so John writes again, and my quoting John several times is going to link into the next section once I finish the exposition with this verse from John. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, I have grace and I have truth, but I'm not full of either one of those, and neither is anyone else, except Jesus Christ. And so here he comes into the world. He is the sovereign servant, which to the world is an oxymoron, a phrase that just seems to contradict itself. But it is a paradox. It is a reality. And uh, without his sovereignty, there would be no Christmas Story, as it is called. The sovereignty of Christ holds everything together and is accountable before him. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. I sure hope we get a chance to share some of these things with lost souls. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and, here it comes, upholding all things by the word of his power. That's a lot of power. From the Adam to everything else held together by the Christ. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's sovereign. He's all powerful in the universe. Sovereignty is not synonymous with dictatorship. God is sovereign. And that means that while he will not prevent men from making wrong choices, he is not defeated by the wrong choices of men. Satan, Satan, God allowed Satan to make his choices, but God was not defeated by Satan's choices. And that holds throughout all creation because, again, he is sovereign. His sovereignty does not make him indifferent. Otherwise, there would be no crucifixion. There would be no cross of Christ To save sinners from their sin. And so when we read whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting, it is a powerful statement. It is unmatched. There is no genealogy of Jesus Christ in the gospel of John and in the gospel of Mark. And this is the part I mentioned I I wanted to come to, quoting these verses from John. John presents him as the son given. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And he goes on to, that prophet Isaiah does, to speak about his deity. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Because he and the Father are one. They are inseparable. And so John presents him as the son given, given taking us nowhere near the cradle. Matthew and Luke, they do. John and Mark do not. John is spotlighting the deity of Jesus Christ without genealogy because as God, he has no ancestry. And uh, this does not contradict Matthew and Mark. It reinforces everything they were saying. Mark, on the other hand, gives us no genealogy for a different reason. John, of course, saying he is eternal He is with the Father in the beginning. He has no ancestry. There are sermons in that. There is doctrine in that. Mark comes along and he introduces Jesus Christ as a servant to us. No one is interested in the ancestry of the servant. And these lessons are quite profound. Mark chapter 10. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve And to give his life ransom for many. It is very tragic that those of what is known as the prosperity movement. Teach that Christ is here to serve us material gains. It is to me blasphemous to think that God exists to serve us pleasures in this life. The service that he is rendering that is paramount is the salvation of souls. He served us. The way out through his cross, through the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from all sins. He died so that when we die, we can be with him and share his eternity. Servant's value is based on what that servant can do. And the wise men who came to uh, worship before the child Christ... Uh, they understood the child was the one, as Micah uses the word, the one who would be ruler. And they approached and honored Christ as king. We Christians are supposed to do the same thing. The world has no understanding of these things as a rule. Some of them do, and they have just decided to blaspheme against it. But many are just downright dumb when it comes to the things of God. And that's not said, though it may sound like that, uh, it's not said to insult anyone. It is a fact. The ignorance of Jesus Christ was sending me to hell, and it was the light of Jesus Christ that took me from that darkness. And so when we read in Matthew 2, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, as the prophet Micah had prophesied 700 years earlier, In the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses try to take that word out. They try to change every time that you come across Christ being worshipped in the New Testament and that word only being applied to him. They try to change it even though they have no Greek scholars, to obeisance. Oh, they just showed him respect. No, the word means worship. It means he is treated as though he is God, because he is. And uh, in those days that the wise men had come, the people were very much aware of Micah's prophecy, and we pick that up in Matthew 2 also. And when they, he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes, this is, of course, Herod, the butcher, of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. It is amazing that someone could assign a status of prophet to someone and disregard what they say. It is the voice of God if that person is a true prophet, and when he speaks in the context of God's will. And in, in John's gospel, uh, we have a second witness to the people of the days of Christ understanding the prophecy of Micah. It says in John seven forty two, Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? It specifies it. Make no mistake, it's the Bethlehem that David came out of, the one that Micah prophesied about. And these things uh, are are just, uh, you can't make this up. You cannot sit down, take a man like Shakespeare or some other writer, and just write this kind of a story and have it match so well and have the prophecies fulfilled also. But what makes God's servant serve? What made Christ serve? What makes you serve? If you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and I don't mean you just believe in him. I mean you do things uh, under his leadership that he has appointed you to do. What makes you serve? I think the number one answer that covers it all, actually, is love. And so when Paul writes that church that broke his heart repeatedly He said, for the love of Christ compels us. It is the love of Christ. And the Lord chose no less than four men who fished and sailed the Sea of Galilee. These men loved him. And the Lord was going to use those skills to serve him. As Christ served, he used servants also. Giving them these incredible opportunities to be useful to the kingdom of heaven. And so we look at Judas Iscariot and we say, it was wasted on him. He had this, who would not want that opportunity? And then look what he does with it. Christ skillfully guides the skills that we acquire in life. This is part of the story of Christ when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Jesus Christ. And we look at him. Well, I'll pick it up, Mark chapter 6. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. You see, he had skilled fishermen who were also skilled sailors on the Sea of Galilee. And there he is using them. He did it repeatedly. He used their skills every time he needed them. And he will do the same with us. And I will add to that. The more he uses you and your skills, the better you will become at that skill. The less you work it, well, the further away it goes. It is a perishable skill to serve Jesus Christ. If you bury your lamp, that light is going to go out. Or it's going to cause problems. Depends on what you put it under. Psalm 78 verse 72. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. And guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. And so here we have this Jesus Christ who is sovereign. And he is a servant. And while he does not give us his sovereignty. We benefit from it. And he invites us to serve with him. What an honor God gives to man. To call him, to join him in his work. However, concerning these fishermen, whose skills that he used every chance he could, he still had to bring them face to face with their own inability to meet needs without him. You see, we have a lot of people that meet needs without Christ and that's all it is, needs met without Christ. Then we have a lot of people, I mean on earth, who meet needs with Christ. Mark chapter 6, when uh, the people had been with Christ and there was no food for the thousands of people there, and the, the, the disciples came and they told him, to, to send them away, they have nothing to eat. And Christ said, you give them something to eat. So I'll pick it up, Mark chapter 6, <clears throat> Verse 37. And he answered and said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Well, of course, they were saying, this is absurd. We can't. We cannot provide for them. And so we come to this understanding from such lessons that Christ is going to use these men to feed those people. But before we can be used to feed others, we have to be fed by him. He is the miracle worker every time. And in serving Christ, you need miracles every time in that sense. So again, Mark 6 sums up the one part of the story. So they all ate and were filled. Thus, the apostles, the disciples of Christ. They were first fed before they were dispatched to feed the multitudes. This system is still in place. The pastor is to feed on the word of God, and the presence of God, according to the word of God. And then that which I first receive, I deliver to you. That is the process, a process that he has put in place. And the world has nothing like it. He is the sovereign servant. And so we read again, verse 4, For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This has everything to do with the gospel. And therefore it has something to do with me personally, and you personally. Isaiah 49, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant. Is it too small a thing that you should be my servant? I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. You you, You get the connection. Micah says, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. The prophet Isaiah, and they ministered about the same time, He writes that the father was going to send the son as a servant, as a light to the Gentiles, and that he should be the salvation of God to the ends of the earth. Well, what's my role? Where do I come in? You ever get a new job? it's, It's a very unpleasant thing. You don't know where you belong. You don't know what to do. You're afraid you might break something. If you take the initiative, you may ruin it for everybody else. And so you're a greenhorn. You're learning. Well, as Christians, we are eventually to move from that apprentice status and become journeyman Christians, where we understand what the job calls for. We know what our role is to to be, and we, we implement it. And that is, in relation to what I'm saying, the sovereignty of Christ, the servanthood of Christ, the sharing of Christ. That's where we come in. Who else is going to tell the story? He does not dispatch angels right now. To tell the gospel. He uses people who are misfits like you and me. We're misfits by heaven's standards because of our sin, but that sin is reconciled in Christ. And I'll get to what we will hear when we get to heaven at the end of this message. Maybe we'll get to heaven before I finish it. <laughs> possible. God used Mary to give him to a lost world. We understand that. God wants to use us likewise To give Christ to a lost world. Philemon was a friend of Paul. He was a slave owner. No one go into that. That's a whole other thing. That's what I meant about leaving out certain passages when you read. Because then you've got to explain them. And then it interrupts what you're aiming for. For the moment. Moment. Philemon was a Christian. And uh, he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul got wind of how much he loved Christ, and Philemon was refreshing the brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul says this, saying to him, I'm praying for you, Philemon, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Wouldn't you want someone to say that? Or would you want to have a friend that you could say that to? That the sharing of your faith may become effective. That alone is powerful. And that's what we're supposed to do with the knowledge of the sovereign servant. And so, the sharing of your faith, effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. In other words, you're ineffective without Christ, Philemon. Philemon knew that. Paul recognized that Philemon knew that. It is a powerful little section of Scripture. The only book that calls to man by calling man out on his sin is the Bible. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then it adds to that, the solution to these things. The exclusive solution. The day will come, however, when God can't be bothered with bitter unbelief anymore. And that will be the great tribulation into the millennial reign where God is very intolerant. He will rule, rule with a rod of iron. That is not for the Christians. That is for those born in the millennial reign. Uh, there will not be the tolerance for sin from God that we see it or know it as it is today. But for now, he is saving souls through the truth of the message. As we get a chance to share the gospel, and I think the, the, the great prayer of this season known as Christmas, the great prayer for every Christian should be, Lord, give me a chance to preach. Give me a chance to share Jesus Christ with an unbeliever. And if I don't find myself around believers, may I be part of the process to strengthen those who do believe. And so we need to remember these things about faith in the presence of unbelievers because they don't know it. Faith is not fanatical, never. Faith is never irrational. Faith is never careless, reckless, or out of control. Faith is aware of the darkness and therefore is cautious in applying the solutions. Faith is ready and discerning. These things, uh, other religions, lack oftentimes. We look at the fanaticism. We look at the irrational. We look at the recklessness. But that's not what we see in Christ, nor his, his servants. Second Thessalonians, Paul said, pray for us, that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. I think we all know these things, but are we stoked by them? Are we hot or are we flaming when it's time to flame? To make it flame, to make coals flame, you need a lot of heat. Some wind will help. The Lord Jesus, he supports our sharing of the faith. He told us that early on in John 17 when he prayed to the Father about his disciples. He says, I do not pray for these alone. I'm praying for other believers that will begin to believe And be believers because of these believers. And so he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And their word now is in print. And we have it. And all of this is about heaven. Heaven is the prize. It is not selfish to want to go to heaven. It is sane. It is insane and selfish to not want to go to heaven. Philippians, Paul writes, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, boxers used to be called prize fighters. Well, that's interesting because Paul makes this reference to such a lifestyle. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one, who beats the air in other words paul says i'm not playing around i mean i'm i'm very serious about serving jesus christ that's what he's saying heaven is a place it is a reality it is not a metaphor jesus said and if i go prepare a place for you i will come again and receive you to myself that where i am there you also may be what an invitation God has plenty of room in heaven. New Jerusalem Jerusalem alone, if you take the measurements given in the scripture, it runs from New York City to Denver, and then it runs from Miami up to Canada. It's plenty of, there's plenty of space. Just in the New Jerusalem, the, there is more to the spiritual realm, of course. Moses he saw into heaven from the Arabian desert. Ezekiel saw into heaven from Babylon. Stephen saw into heaven from Jerusalem. John from the Isle of Patmos. And we see it by faith. And God, God will unfold his glory to us, those saved, throughout all eternity. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. In his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. How many times have I used the name just this morning, Christ Jesus. The name and the title or the distinction in the name. Christ, that is a distinction. It distinguishes him from everyone else. The one who would be ruler, the anointed one. Jesus, of course, is his prophetic name because of the meaning of the name. Lord is his title. And yet, there are other churches, and there are many people. Christ Jesus won't come into their mind today. Other things will. And if it does with some, it doesn't carry the meaning that it carries even with the angels, as it carries with those who love the Lord. When I shed this life, when I die, what will be the first words that I will hear? Will I hear something like this from Hebrews 12, verse 22? You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. What is that moment going to be like? Christmas and every other day for the believer is about heaven. And heaven is a good conclusion to anything. Let's pray. Our Father, we say we love, we love you. We close our prayers so often in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is our desire to be useful to you. It is our desire to not be distracted by the many things in life that compete for our devotion and our attention. We learn from your scripture that at any age... We can be full of the Spirit. We can look to you. It is our request that if there is anyone listening who has not opened their heart to Jesus Christ to receive a place in the heaven that he has gone to prepare, that they would make a confession of faith, that they could gain access, that their sin and the penalties of them Would be forever taken away. If you would like to open your heart to Jesus Christ, turn your back on a lost and dark world, its doomed and foolish cultures, then make the confession of faith. Say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I have broken your commandments. I have done wrong. And I ask you to forgive me. I come to you to ask for forgiveness because there's no one else. There's no one else who died to take my punishment. And there's no one else strong enough to rise from the dead to demonstrate that he is indeed sovereign and almighty. I give my life to you right here, right now. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they not hesitate to let their confession be known to men. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.